0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Play ball. This is the Locked On Reds podcast. Maybe it's bad luck that we started this podcast. I'm James Rapine on Twitter, at James Rapine at Locked On Red. Subscribe, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast, and LockedOnReds.com. There's uh, going to be a lot posted up there over the weekend, uh, including each and every podcast at LockedOnReds.com. And man, oh man, yesterday I asked if it could get worse, or maybe I asked that the day before, and then it seems to keep getting worse. 2-10, and ten, the Reds' worst start since 1955, and they're losing every which way. Every single way you could lose a baseball game from just being injured to starting pitching costing you to the bullpen costing you to lack of clutch hitting to managerial mistakes to errors in the field. I mean, everything you could think of that goes wrong has gone wrong for the Cincinnati Reds. And if you've been on a bad baseball team, then that's. Is what the Reds are right now. Like if you've been on a crappy team, and I was, I was on bad teams in high school. Sometimes, and not always, on bad teams. Uh, maybe you, you think that I was the issue, and maybe I was. Probably airmailing it from second base like Scooter Jeanette did the other night. But man, oh man, has it been ugly! And will they be two and ten the rest of the way? No, because that would mean they'd win twenty seven games. But. I just wonder about the future of this team, the future of the rebuild, the future of really all things Reds. Because I think your faith as a fan is waning, and rightfully so. You're teetering, you're wondering, you're questioning. And uh, I don't think anyone could have imagined the start, uh, them getting off to this type of start. I mean, it's ugly right now. And uh, for more on some positive stuff first, Doug Gray, RedsMinorLeagues.com is with us now. He's on Twitter, at DougDirt24. Doug, I want to talk to you about the big league club, but I'm looking at RedsMinorLeagues.com. You saw Hunter Green pitch this week, and it seemed like you like what you saw. You were at his single-A debut. What did you see? What did you like about the 18-year-old Hunter Green?
1: You know, he went out there, and if you just look at the stat line, there's some things that you're going to be like, oh, that's really nice to see. He struck out eight of the 14 batters he faced in three innings give up five hits and two runs. Um, if, if you're going to be what I would call a Debbie Downer, then you're going to look at the five hits and two earned runs in three innings and go, what happened? But let, let me tell you, it was very, very impressive to watch. Now, in, in the first inning, I think that guys were amped up and they were ready for the fastball. And I mean, even guys in low lay, if, if they're ready and expecting a fastball, even at 100 miles an hour, which 100 Reed absolutely threw, they can hit it most of the time. And a few of those guys, they, they didn't miss. I mean, there was there was hard contact in that first inning. Uh, three guys put together uh, two singles and a double. And, I mean, they, that's how they got their runs. But after that, you know, Hunter Green, he changed up what he was doing, the way he was approaching hitters. Uh, you know, he started throwing, he mixed in some two-seam fastballs. that had pretty good movement at 98 miles an hour. Started mixing in his slider. And... I mean, not that it was just a case if he was facing low-A hitters. I think that the pitch would have played out very well. But especially against these low-A hitters, they had absolutely no chance. I really do think that he could have told them the pitch was coming, and they still couldn't have hit it. It was very, very impressive to see.
0: And with that, and I've heard he's drawn some rave reviews, What what would you say he needs to work on? Obviously, he's in single-A. It's going to be a while before we see him pitch at Great American Ballpark. But... There's got to be some weaknesses, some holes in his game that he's got to shore up.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the two biggest things is, and we need to realize that we're talking about an 18-year-old kid at this point. Yeah, Hunter Green is going to be younger than some guys drafted out of high school this season. I mean, he's, he's incredibly young still. So, number one, consistency. Um, and and that's, that's the case for just about every 18-year-old you're ever going to run into in professional sports. Um, but in, in terms of his actual stuff, the pitch that he needs to work on more is his change-up. No, he, he threw, he said, one or two change-ups during the game, and that was out of 53 pitches. Personally, I only saw one. If there was a second one in there, you know, I, I'm not sure where it was. But either way, one or two, that, that's not exactly the amount of change-ups you want to see somebody throwing. Um, it's clearly you know, his, his third-best pitch at this point. And, and again, 18 years old. That, that's the case for just about every 18-year-old pitcher. Um, but I, I think that that's going to be the one to kind of watch develop and hope that you see strides taken forward
0: with that pitch uh, moving forward. Doug Gray, com is our guest here on the Locked on Reds podcast. And, Doug, I, I do want to ask you about Nick Senzel, because there's talks uh, that the Reds could potentially bring him up from AAA Louisville. I hear that, and I don't want them to deviate from the plan because of one injury to Eugenio Suarez. I don't want them to rush him up. Uh, what are your thoughts on the potential of them bringing Nick Senzel up into the majors? Well, I think that there's two important
1: days in terms of the service time. As we're recording this, it's, it's Friday afternoon, so they can call him up today and they get that quote unquote extra year before he hits free agency. Uh, and I, I actually think that today's a big day because if the Reds were waiting for that, if that's, if that's truly what they were waiting on, is to just kind of hold out and get that extra year, then they'd call him up today. As of right now, it has not happened. That doesn't mean it's not going to, but I believe that. If they don't call him up today, maybe even at some point this weekend, it is probably going to be a while until we see him because at that point, you might as well just wait until you get to the Super 2 deadline, which basically means they wouldn't have to pay him in arbitration for four years. They don't have to do it for three years, and it, in the long run, that will probably save them 5 or $6 million. Uh, you know, For a major league team, we, we don't think that's a lot of money, but again, when you're dealing with the Reds, I mean, that's I mean, with the way that they've spent, That's not exactly chump change either. So I think that if we don't see him in the next day or two, it's probably going to be until late May or early June before we see him, unless, you know, of course, somebody else gets hurt and you really don't have a choice at that point. Um, As far as rushing him, I I don't really think that that's going to be an issue. I, I think that he's ready right now, especially if they're going to play him at third base. Now, if you're going to put him at second, you know, I haven't seen him play enough at second base to kind of say one way or the other whether I think that he's ready to go. Um, but I feel that the Reds are generally confident that he can handle second base right now, uh, and that, that's good enough for me. Now, the bigger question when it comes to Senzel for me is what do they do when Suarez comes back? Whether they call up Sinzel or not, I mean, Nick is not going to play third base if Suarez is going to play third base, but right before Suarez got hurt, we saw him slide over to shortstop late in the game, and maybe that means nothing. That could totally mean nothing at all, but Maybe it does mean something. Yeah, you know, the, the Reds have a lot of different options in how they can kind of make this infield play out with the four guys they've got for three spots, and who is the the guy that gets kind of pushed to the bench is a big question because it's not going to be Suarez and it's not going to be Sinzel.
0: Doug Gray with us on Twitter at DougDirt24. Yeah, it's it's interesting with me, and I get that the not rushing him. I just. I guess my concern would be if you weren't bringing him up, like let's let's throw service time out of it. If they weren't going to start the season with him, I wouldn't do it now just because Suarez got injured. You know what I'm saying? Like if there was a reason, if there's something you wanted him to work on, something he he was supposed to shore up in AAA, and, and they plan on bringing up later in the season, I wouldn't abandon that just because Suarez gets a freakish foul ball hit or you know gets hit by a pitch and it breaks a finger. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wouldn't risk that. I would rather him just work on whatever they wanted him to work on in AAA.
1: And, and I, I get that, because if, if you go back, it was, what, um, nine days ago, he said right before the season, the day before the season, that as far as he knew, the plan with him was to play second base every day in Louisville. Mm-hmm. Well, that plan lasted for a handful of days before Suarez got hurt, and now he's back to playing third base. Uh, if, if the plan was for him to play second base to get more acquainted with the position, because he did play there in college a little bit, but just to kind of get back into the feel of things, you know, maybe pick up on some of the things that he had been missing on, and you know, I'm, I'm with you. Why, like, why are you taking this situation and kind of abandoning abandoning the plan that you did have for him? I mean, this, with all due respect to some of the other guys in the minor leagues, they're not Nick Sinzel. You, you, I'm not really sure that you change your plan for Dell for you know anywhere from four to eight weeks of an injury call-up, so to speak. Doug, I, I, uh, I get that.
0: Yeah, Doug. As far as the rest of the the farm system, what's good? What should fans and our, our listeners know about what uh, what's bad? Get us up to date on on all <laughs> the things. Get, give us almost like a summary of what they can find at RedsMinorLeagues.com. dot com.
1: Well. I'll be honest. Right now, there's a lot of really good things happening offensively at the lower levels. I mean, Tyler Stevenson, Taylor Trammell—they're absolutely killing the ball down in Daytona. Nice. Uh, you, you go down to Dayton, you've got guys like Jeter Downs, Stuart Fairchild. You know, all of these guys were taken in the you know the top forty picks of their respective drafts in the past couple of years. I mean, they're they're all off to great great starts. Now, unfortunately, they're still a couple years away because you know they're all twenty or younger at this point, but. It, it, it's nice and refreshing to actually see that happening. Um, you know, <laughs> the pitching was pretty rough all across the system last night, uh, outside of Chiari uh, Maya, who had a, a very good start in Pensacola. But the the other starting pitchers, um, yeah, I think that the least amount of earned runs somebody gave up was five, and that was only in two and two thirds innings. So, unfortunately, the the pitching has not been doing well so far, but. Uh, you know, it's, it's a weekend of the season, so things are probably not going to go that bad moving forward. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, as far as, you know, what you're going to get daily on the website, I mean, I just kind of cover everything that's going on. There's daily game reviews, and I try and write one or two things about specific player performances every day. Uh, right now, I've got something up on a guy who's basically missed the last two seasons, uh, Narciso Cook, Who's the outfielder? He's still just 22 years old. Uh, He's off to a really good start. He's had four extra base hits in the last two games for Dayton. Um, The other day talked about a guy that we got from the Dodgers in the Tony Cingrani trade, Hendrick Clementina, who uh, he's hitting 500 on the season so far. There's definitely a lot of good things going on, but it's not all sunshine and roses either.
0: Yeah. Doug Gray, RedsMinorLeagues.com. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at DougDirt24. Let's get to uh, the bad, because I I think the big league club right now is about as bad probably worse than anyone could have expected, 2-10, worst start since 1955. I look at this team, and I just – the best thing that's happened so far is Homer Bailey's had two quality starts, two decent starts out of his three starts. Outside of that, there's not much positive stuff going on for the big league club.
1: No, there's really not. And I I think that it's even more so than the 2-10 record, which is bad enough it's how they've looked along the way of getting to a 2-10 and 10 record. Agreed. It, it seems that whenever there's runners on base, they can't come through. Whenever the other team has runners on base, they always come through. And it, it's just been painful to watch over the first two weeks of the season. And I, I honestly think that even if it's just for the feelings of people, that the Reds have to make some kind of move. Uh, I, I just... I feel the fan base is at a point where they're just anybody that was left willing to give this team and the rebuild a chance, you know, to keep Brian Price back even after he's lost 90 straight or 90 games, three straight years. Those guys are gone. Those fans are gone. And the ones that weren't along with that plan, they're even more dug in. I mean, I I just think that the Reds need to show just pretty much the entire fan base that. You know, they're willing to try something different, that they realize that this isn't working. And even if it is just a we-need-to-please-the-fans kind of move, that it, it something needs to happen. I mean, can it really get much worse than it's gotten at this point?
0: Uh, I asked that yesterday, and then they went out and lost again. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy because I feel like they've lost in every single way imaginable. Errors, not being able to hit with runners in scoring position, bad starts bad bullpen, uh, managerial mistakes, uh, injuries. Like, there's been so many different things that have happened. I feel like we've gone through half a season, and we're 12 games in, Doug. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, they're they're
1: really, I mean, short of, you know, the the ground just opening up and swallowing players. Like, I I don't know what else could possibly have gone wrong in the first two weeks of the season that would have led to a crazier way than the Reds have lost some of these games. It's it's kind of been remarkable. It has. And the, the thing that a lot
0: of people are talking about naturally is Brian Price's future. And I get it. I get he's made some mistakes. At the same time, the other side of that is, well, who's going to manage this team and get better results? They're clearly flawed from top to bottom. Outside of Vado And Iglesias, I'm not sure there's any, like, really, really good players that you need to watch when they're out there. I I don't know of anyone that could manage this team and have, you know, significantly different success so far or moving forward than Brian Price.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've long said that I don't believe that managers make that much of a difference in terms of wins and losses. I I think that generally speaking, teams aren't hiring guys who are going to be that bad. Uh, managing the clubhouse, which I think is a, is a larger aspect of their game than they, they get credit for, but uh, as I said before, if for nothing else, I think that the fan base needs to see the, the, the higher ups in the red show that they care about what 's going on on the field now, whether it works out or not i 'm with you i, I don 't think that the manager's going to make that much of a difference. It, you know at the end of the day, I think it does come down to the talent that 's in that clubhouse and I definitely think the talent is a lot better than they performed this year. I mean, two and 10, I mean, I'm not entirely sure what the pace of that is over the entire season, but you're not going to lose two out of every 10 games the rest of the way. Like these guys aren't that bad. They've just played that way over this stretch. Um, But I I just think that there needs to be a move made at this point, just to kind of show the fan base something.
0: Yeah. It's, it's hard to argue that. And, so two other things here then, because we're talking about them falling on their face. It's been a, a rebuild. It's kind of built up to this year. And so far, I know it's still early, but they've fallen on their face. If this continues, and I, obviously the 2-10 and 10 won't continue, but just in general, they end up winning 68 games like they've won the past couple of years or less than that. It feels like the rebuild has built up to failure is that? It, it, could we see a reset to the rebuild if things continue to, to trend in this
1: direction? I mean, I understand where you're coming from, but let's, let's be realistic. If you reset the rebuild, who are you trading away? I mean, yeah. they don't have Johnny Clado, Todd Frazier, you know, a Chapman, which, you know, I'm sure that everybody's rolling their eyes at what they got back in that trade right now. But you don't have those kind of players that you can trade away this time. I mean, you, you're kind of all in at this point. I mean, Joey Votto isn't getting traded. And even if he were, you know, I, I don't know what you could get back from him, even though he's a great, great player. With the contract he's got, I, I'm not sure how much a team would be willing to take on of that while also giving you the kind of package you'd want to get away or get back from trading away Joey Votto. So basically, it's what can we get for Rysel Iglesias? And I, I, you, you can't reset or rebuild when you're trading away one reliever. They're, they're kind of at a point where they need this to work. They mm-hmm. need the young pitchers that they are hoping and that they've been hoping for. They need them to step up because without those guys, this isn't going to work. And I, I have faith that some of these guys can still step forward and make it happen. Uh, but if it doesn't, it's going to be a really long stretch for the Reds before they see wins again.
0: Doug, I, I was thinking back to a conversation we had on this podcast about an article that you were publishing at RedsMinorLeagues.com, and I'm looking at it right now, the downfalls of rebuilding through the draft. Uh, it, it made me think of it because in my mind, like if they don't make any kind of improvement this year, and I know it's still early, but if that's the case, you look at it and you wonder if the strategy that the Reds had as far as this rebuild and reset or whatever you want to call it, you wonder if that was the right strategy because – it looks like, especially, I mean, this is year five. It looks like this would be the failure. It would be a fail, failed rebuild, even though you're right. They, they don't have a lot of pieces to trade away.
1: Yeah, and uh, I mean, let's be fair with things. I mean, they didn't realistically start the rebuild until after the All-Star game in 2015. And I, I, we can all look back and say that was a huge mistake. And there were people that I know of that were saying that they should have started it well before that. Agreed. Um, but they didn't. And I, I think that it's cost them in, in the long run, but you know, we've also gone through two GMs in that time. Dick Williams realistically only became the guy who had final say on these decisions outside of Bob Castellini, of course, uh, you know, in December of 2016. So the guy that's in charge right now, that's kind of overseeing where things go. I mean, he's basically been around for one year, one baseball season, you know, I I don't think that the Reds are in the best place right now in terms of the rebuild, but I don't think they're in the worst either. They absolutely need some of these things or some of these players to step up. But I I, I do think that the talent is there. Now, the talent doesn't always do that. We've we've seen in many sports guys that have just immense amounts of talent not be able to put that onto the field or onto the court the way that you thought that they would. But you don't have to squint very hard to see a good rotation with guys like Sal Armano, Robert Stevenson, Luis Castillo, Tyler Malley, Amir Garrett, uh, you know, eventually Hunter Green. I mean, th- those guys all have the stuff. It's, it, I mean, it, it's there. They just have to put it together. I, I don't want to say that, you know, the Reds are not going to do it. But there's a lot of risk still involved for being this far down that path. And I... I, I You you just have to hope it works out because, as I said, there's not much left to to trade away at the big league level. And is it really a rebuild, so to speak, if you're trading away your young talent just to get back veterans that can be good, so-so at the major league level? And I I, I don't think that that's something that the Reds can really afford to do because those guys generally, I mean, even just average starting pitchers, for example, I mean, unless the market is really changing, I mean, those guys are $12, $13, 14000000 million a year for just being okay. Those aren't even good starting pitchers who cost $25 million or more a year. So I think there's a, a lot riding on not only just this season, but this season's starting pitchers and the young guys and how they develop. Because w- without them, it's not going to work, and it could get really, really ugly.
0: It could. It could. And I like that you're still... Not jumping off the cliff yet, uh, so to speak. Uh, final question for Doug Gray, com. Follow him on Twitter, at DougDirt24. I think fans, part of the reason they're so concerned, and rightfully so, is they look at it and they don't really believe in the owner. They certainly don't believe in the manager. And they they are putting a lot of blind faith in, in Dick Williams because they haven't seen him do it before. So really this is is them just... Probably not trusting something that they've never seen
1: happen before with this group. Yeah, I think that's completely understandable. Um, you know we, we, We've seen you know Bob Castellini come in here and say the, the losing stops now, and for a brief time, it did, but you know at, at the same time, the, the franchise value has tripled, and they've gotten a new TV contract, and they're not really spending any more money on players than they did four or five years ago. Now, maybe you can say that that's because they're in rebuilding and it doesn't make too much sense to go out and get, you know, veteran free agents that are going to cost you 15 to $20 million. And I understand that. I, I can totally understand that. But for fans that don't really care about 2022 and they care a lot about 2018, that doesn't work for those guys. They want to see wins right now. And I, I understand that, um, especially if you're – and I, I don't want to sound mean to anybody, but if you're an older person – you don't have time necessarily to wait to see what happens in five or six years, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. so you know you bring up Brian Price, he's never had a winning record, and three of those years have been really, really bad. Dick Williams, i mean let's let's call a spade a spade, and I think this is a criticism that gets thrown around a lot. He's related to two of the owners, yeah, he's never had this job before. And while I mentioned, you know, just a couple minutes ago, he's only been realistically on the job as the general manager president for one year. There's nothing behind that that says, you know, hey, he's got a proven track record. Let's trust this. Let's trust the process. You know, I think that the Reds are the front office is in a better position than it was when they had Walt Jockety because of the improvements they've made um, in, in many different areas. But I understand the skepticism. I, I really do, because it, it's really tough to look at where the Reds are right now and those three positions that you mentioned and say, well, there's a reason we should trust these guys, because they've done this, that, and the other. And that, that's not really there for any of them at this point.
0: He's Doug Gray. Follow him on Twitter, at DougDirt24. RedsMinorLeagues.com is where it's at. And there's some positivity within the Reds organization. It's just in the farm system. So check it out, RedsMinorLeagues.com. Doug, I appreciate the time, as always. Good stuff, and I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me on, James. Appreciate it. Doug Gray, com. Really good stuff there. Went long with him. Uh, I'll be honest. Went long with him because it was really good. It was informative. And maybe he'll be able to talk you off the ledge a bit because I'm not sure I can right now. I was out yesterday watching the Reds, and I, and I talked about this in the open a little bit, but I'm watching the Reds. They get a 4-3 lead, and I'm like, uh-oh, here we go. It's going to happen. They're at least going to hang tight, hang in it, and then they lose by nine runs. That would be like the Bengals being up 14-10 to in the second quarter and then losing 44-14, to all right? It's ugly right now. I'm not sure when we're back Monday that the Reds have more than the two wins they have right now. I hope I'm wrong. Make sure you follow on Twitter at James Erpine, at Locked On Reds. Check out LockedOnReds.com. And until next time, have a great weekend. I'm James Erpine. Thank you for listening to the Locked On Reds podcast.
1: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.